We hope today's message will encourage you and strengthen you with God's Word. We are certainly living in a world that is constantly changing, but God's Word will always be true. The Bible tells us that God is unchanging and will always be all-knowing, all-powerful, the creator and sustainer of life. God's Word is truth and life, and we are thankful for the opportunity to share His Word with you each week. This sermon was recorded at Rolling Fork Baptist Church in Nelson County. You can find out more information by visiting rollingforkbc.com or find us on Facebook, listed as Rolling Fork Baptist Church of Boston, Kentucky. And now, let's listen in to this week's message. Help me, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to worship this morning. And thank you for the price that was paid upon that cross. Help us, Lord, to live each week fully reminded of what you did there, not letting down because the Easter season has passed, but let every day be the resurrection day in our lives. And we ask this name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I ask you to join me, please, in John chapter 14. As we have finished up the Easter Sunday, now we're going back to finish up uh, the chapters that we've not read yet, so that when we are done, you will have a full understanding of the book of John. In John chapter 14, we find a passage of scripture that is very well known for many of you. We even read uh, the first verse a few moments ago. So as we think about this, I want you to see what's going on in verse 1, which really seems to be the opposite of what should have been going on. You know, sometimes we don't see what's going on in other people's lives because we're too concerned about what's going on in our own lives. And look what's going on here. Jesus says in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And number one in your sheet this morning, and by the way, you get to have blanks again. I know you're super excited about that. If you love blanks, honk your horns. I heard a few of you, whatever. Okay, so we can get rid of those next week. I'm just kidding. Uh, it says, notice that Jesus was comforting the disciples instead of the disciples comforting him. And the reason this is important, because when you think about what Jesus was about to go through, especially in the book of John, when you go back to John chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, we see that Jesus was saying, now is my soul troubled, and what can I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And then again in John chapter 13, we see that Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then in that same chapter, the seriousness of turning to Peter and saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. But yet, when we get to chapter 14, we see that Jesus is comforting them and trying to encourage them instead of them saying, you know what, Jesus, we see that you're about to go through something that has never been done before, and we should be comforting you and encouraging you and, and uh, praying for you. But instead, they 
missed the boat in so many ways. Remember, he said that uh, one of you will de- uh, deny me, one of you will betray me. And they began to argue about who was the greatest disciple. They, they were filled with pride. They didn't understand. When Jesus said, believe in God, he was commanding them. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And this word is the word pastuo, which is the word that means the type of faith that relies on their power and nearness to help. That's the first part of your blanks there. This kind of belief is the type of faith that relies on their being the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It depends and relies upon their power and their nearness to help. Aren't you glad that God is near as close as you can imagine? He's not some faraway God that has no clue what's going on in your life right now. He's not so unattached to you that he doesn't know what you're worried about or what you're excited about. In fact, when we talk about our prayers, some people say, well, if my prayers can just reach heaven, listen, if God's in your heart, it doesn't have to travel very far, does it? God is with us. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible tells us that if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. So we don't have to worry about our prayers traveling a long distance. All we got to do is just pray to the Father. And I want to ask you this morning. The second part of this is talking about the, the being convinced that their revelations or disclosures are true. In other words, whatever God says is true. And I want to ask you, do you trust him in that? Are you fully trusting in God this hour? Are you fully trusting in his name? Or are you trusting God a little bit and then in something else? And I think that was part of what uh, Rhonda was talking about in the Sunday school class this morning. I I want to ask you this morning, are you fully trusting in God? Or are you trusting in your resources, in your power, in your popularity? What what are you depending upon? Listen, God is faithful. And we know that we can go to him and he will take care of us. We don't have to worry about what the world says. They will tell about all these uh, stories of gloom and doom. But Jesus says that in the end, he's coming back for us and taking us to be with him. What more do you want? And even now, he says, I'll take care of you. So this is the kind of belief that is the type of faith that relies on their power. God's power is not like anybody else's power. He wasn't elected into power. His power does not diminish over time. His word is just as powerful today as it was when he said, let there be light. And there was. And he is just as near as he's ever been. You know the shortest prayer you can pray? God. And he's right there. You know, sometimes we're going through stuff and and we we just don't have our mind right to pray a full prayer. And it's like, Father. And we can know that he's right there taking care of the situation. Let us glorify him by our faith. 
our trust, our confidence in him. And then in Jesus uh, comments there in verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. When we think about heaven, we need to think about the Trinity and not ourselves. We need to think about seeing Jesus face to face and spending eternity with the one who gave us life instead of death, instead of worrying about what we get out of the deal. Now, notice in the ESV version, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. And yet I'm sure that many of you are familiar with that song. I've got a mansion over the hilltop. Yes, Annette, there's always a song in there somewhere. He says, I'm satisfied with the cottage below, just a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I've got a gold one. Or I want a gold one that's silver lined. I've got a mansion over the hilltop. Jesus says, I got a room for you. And let me tell you something. Any room that he has for you is better than any mansion you've ever seen. And listen, I don't know how much time you'll be spending in your room anyway. When you have a chance to see God face to face, Jesus face to face, be in the presence of the Holy Spirit like never before, why would you be in your room? Well, I get to walk the streets of gold. Hey, who cares? Are you with me? The most important part about heaven is not any of that kind of stuff. It's the fact that God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit is there with you for all eternity. Jesus said, I would go and prepare a place for you. And there's two things I want you to get out of that particular part of the scripture. First of all, Jesus was training them to think about eternity and not for the moment. And that by itself, let me ask you, how many times do we think about the moment instead of eternity? How many times do we worry about uh, what's going to happen in five minutes rather than what's going to happen when we see Jesus face to face? How many times are we more concerned about being entertained now than being uh, welcomed by God our Father? He not only was training them to think about eternity instead of the temporary, but he was also showing them that he would take care of it all. Sometimes I ask people, are you going to heaven? And they say things like, well, I hope so. You know, and they say that trying to sound uh, meager, if you will. But the problem with that is really prideful. Because what they're saying is, I hope I'm good enough to make it. Listen, friend, none of us are good enough. We need to say with, the, with confidence, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, you need to say without any hesitation whatsoever, I know that I'm going because God saved me through Jesus Christ. And all the confidence and all the focus is on him and not ourselves. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are saved by grace and not by works. 
lest any man should boast. Jesus says, I will come again and take you to myself. There are a lot of opinions about this, and I've had some great discussions over the years. The book of Revelations, or Revelation, excuse me, is such a hot topic with some people. They want to talk about Revelation. They don't want to talk about the other books of the Bible. They just want to talk about the end times. And they will argue about it. They will argue about, okay, does this talk about a rapture? Is there such thing as a rapture? Will the rapture happen before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation? Uh, will there be any rapture at all? Will it just be all at one shot? What happens? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he says, here's what I think. That I need to focus on the rest of the Bible and let God do his job. He'll take care of all that. You will notice in the book of Revelation that there's not one command for you to do anything like there is in all the other ones. You are to love your neighbor. You are to, to pray for those who persecute you. You are to forgive those. You are to minister to those. You are to serve those. And on and on throughout those other books of the Bible. And you get to Revelation and he says, and God said, and God did. And that's all it says. Why worry about something that you have no clue what's going to happen? Listen, let God take care of that. Let's focus on glorifying God with our words, with our thoughts, and our actions, and let God take care of the rest of it. There are some passages that some people will use to say that the rapture is what they're talking about. For example, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. And he goes on talking about where the, the death has no victory. And he ends that section by saying, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be in control of our lives, right? We want to determine when we leave, when we get there, what we do, who will see us, who will treat us, serve us, and so forth. We don't like that uncertainty stuff. We don't like that, was it today, tomorrow, what's going on? You ever ask a friend of yours, do you want to get together Friday for supper? And they say, uh, well, we just have to wait and see. Well, okay, when are you going to tell me? Well, it may be Friday afternoon. Excuse me? Can you make a mind up? Can you make a decision? Listen, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But our job is to be faithful and serve him. Every single moment. So that when he does appear, we are ready to see him, that we're looking for him. That we are longing for him to come. In First Thessalonians also, you see an idea about those who are left behind will be caught up together with them in the air. And that we are to encourage each other 
with these words. So number four on your sheet, there is absolutely no reason to argue about the end times. Let us stop arguing about that which we do not know. In fact, let us stop arguing. The only thing that you should argue about is against false teaching. And again, this goes back to that picture I showed you, pointing at the Scripture. If you can point to the Scripture, and it is very clear because context is king. Context tells you what the verse means. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. If it's very clear, Jesus gave it to us clearly, we need to say, okay, this is what the Bible says. That's why Paul said, if anybody brings you a gospel different than what I gave you, let him be accursed. There is no place for those kind of arguments. In verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. This is interesting because in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. And then in John 13, he told his disciples, Just as I said to the Jews, now also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then later to Simon Peter, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterwards. So when Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You all may not know this, but. Uh, Rhonda and I have a grandson. Have you all heard about that? Yeah, his his name was Nolan. I guess y'all might have heard a few times. But anyway, Nolan loves to be in front. His his favorite words lately, follow me. And he wants to walk and then you have him follow him. Listen, Thomas says, we don't know the way. Here's the answer. Just follow Jesus. If Jesus is moving, follow him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way of behavior, the way of, of life itself. He is the truth. Let me show you a triangle real fast. Draw a triangle on your bulletin and at the top of it, put Jesus. In the bottom left corner, put the word truth. So Jesus at the top, truth on the bottom left, and then on the bottom right, write down the word Jesus says, I am the truth. In John 17, in that great prayer, he said, sanctify them with your word. Your word is truth. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the way because Jesus is the word and all three of those are connected he is the everlasting word I want you to think about scripture for a moment 
For example, if you have a King James Bible, that's what, the 1600s? And now we're in the 2100s? What other book is still read by as many people as that book? And not only that, what other book has the power that God's Word has? And that's the printed Word. Just imagine, friends, how much power the living Word has. He says, I am the truth. I am the way. But he finishes with, I am the life. I am the eternal life. I am the everlasting life. I am the life that does not end. I'm 57 right now. I've never had a birthday bother me. But in my head, for some reason, I really think that 60 will be a, a different matter to me. Now, some of you are 60 and above, and, and you conquered that. And I don't know why. I've just got this thing about that number. Maybe because I work with the youth so much. I don't know. But it just seems like a, that number. But the thing is, life is going by so fast. But let me tell you something. When you consider all your years here, it is but a blink what it will be like in eternity. Can, can, can you just try to imagine spending eternity in heaven, singing praises to the Father and to the Son, and just enjoying everything that God has as far as his presence? Eternity. Forever. No sorrow, no pain. No medicine, no glasses, none of this other stuff that we talk about down here. It'll be truly amazing, won't it, to be in his presence for all eternity and just saying thank you over and over and over again for what he did. And then Jesus finishes that verse up by saying this, no one comes to the Father except through me. When you think about the book of John, Jesus said back in chapter 10 that he was the door. He's the only way to the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So number five on your sheet, this is very obvious. Jesus is the only way to God, and God is the only way to Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God, and God is the only way to Jesus. There is no other way. When people say, well, you can get to heaven, you don't have to have Jesus. Uh, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have heaven. You can't have God without the Son. 
because they are one. And because they are one, when the Father says something, the Son does it to completion. There's, there's no separation. You know, you know, as a kid, sometimes when you, you ask your, your dad something, the dad says, go ask your mom. And then you ask your mom, and your mom says, what'd your dad say? He says, well, I ask you. And she says, well, I don't care if you do it or not. And you go back to the dad, and you say, well, she doesn't care. Well, I don't want you to do it. Well, why did you tell me to go to her then? God and Jesus are not like that. They are one. Praise God. When God says, I choose you to be a child of mine, Jesus doesn't argue with it. He paid the price for you. Friends, let us rejoice about being in Christ. Yes, he's risen. Yes, he's seated by God. Yes, he's praying for you and me. What better prayer could you be having on your behalf right now? No one comes to the Father except by Jesus Christ. Praise God for that.